Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baldacci and welcome back to the Agency Advantage Podcast. Today is episode number 11 and I'm excited to be joined by Kai Davis of WRAudience.com. Kai is an outreach consultant who helps other consultants and experts increase their traffic and grow their audience. He recently launched a book called The Traffic Manual, which lays out the step-by-step system he follows to get results for his clients using podcasts. While I know I tend to ramble a little bit as I think through what I'm trying to say, Kai is the exact opposite. His responses throughout the interview are not only succinct, but also contain some of the most actionable advice we've had so far in the show. So get out your pen and paper and get ready to take some notes. Without further ado, here's Kai. Hey, Kai, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on, Andy. Excited to uh, chat with you and the audience. Definitely. And so just a few years ago, you were the director of marketing for a large construction company, but today you're an outreach consultant. So first, what is an outreach consultant? That That's the question I get most often. And uh, l- let, me t- let me tell you and the audience what an outreach consultant is and how I came to adopt that title. So an outreach consultant is somebody who helps their clients build and manage relationships online. And I adopted that title because outreach, well, I'm focused on outbound relationships. So who are people that we should build a strategic alliance with, build a partnership with, who are people that already reach the audience my client is trying to reach? And again, to use the relationship word, how do I build a relationship on behalf of my client with those people? So we could then leverage that relationship to find a way to expose my client to that audience. And I used to be, uh, like you mentioned, marketing for a large construction company. I exited that role and started doing search engine optimization and then SEO for e-commerce companies. But I noticed that people had a lot of preconceived notions about what exactly somebody who identified as a search engine optimization consultant did, what that person would cost. Uh, I got on a call once of a prospect and I introduced myself and the prospect says, before we get started, I just want to let you know, there's only two type of industries that I absolutely hate, attorneys and search engine optimization consultants. <laughs> and I'm like, well, great. Thank you. You're having a call with me to talk about SEO and how I could help you with SEO. And you started by telling me you hate SEO people. And I realized that there's so, because a lot of search engine optimization people sell crappy services, don't deliver great results for clients. There just is so much snake oil in the industry that by labeling myself as an SEO consultant, people would just say, oh, he's an SEO consultant. He's 500 bucks for a project. He'll get us to the top of Google when the deliverables I know my clients need or my clients actually need are a lot different than that. So I said, well, Let me sell the same things here. I'm helping my clients get more traffic. I'm helping them build a reputation online. But let me relabel and redefine myself as an outreach consultant, something that uh, one of the challenges I have is if you Google outreach consultant, you find a lot of people who do outreach for churches since it's a phrase known in that world. I said, well, let me use this phrase. I think the right way to do link building, the right way to get more traffic is to build relationships. I'm going to call myself an outreach consultant and see where it takes me. And so far, it's been a good label and a good positioning to use. People often ask that question of, okay, you're an outreach consultant. I don't know what that is. 
which is the perfect blank canvas for me to say what I help my clients do, build relationships, get more traffic, and the methodology I use, hey, we're going to build relationships, we're going to identify relevant people, contact them, see who's interested in working with us, and the outcomes are we're going to get links, we're going to get more traffic, people are going to know who we are. The same things I was selling as an SEO consultant, but now I get to control what that entire narrative looks like. Okay. There's a PR angle to it. You're, you're reaching out to relevant audiences, connecting with people and helping build awareness of your client and their products or, or whatever it is they're offering. But you also, it gives you an opportunity to, to focus more on the benefits, like you said, of building the traffic, building the audience and all of that. Is that a reasonable, uh, Summary? Very much so. I often, when people say, tell me a little more about that, I say, well, it's a flavor of digital public relations where everybody knows, most people know what public relations is and how it might be contacting old media or new media. I frame it as digital public relations because I focus on helping my clients get guest articles out there or do webinars or appear on podcasts, things that are very much in the internet digital space. And so I don't want people to say, oh, you do PR, you could get me, you know, a press release or into the newspaper. I really don't like those types of projects. Instead, I'm much more focused on let's find a relevant audience online and build a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. If you find an audience you're trying to build a relationship with, you don't just have like, all right, we're going to do a guest post or all right, we're going to do a webinar. We're going to do this. You it seems like you have more of a – you cater to the audience more. Very much so. I like find – I always think it goes – we start with the audience. We figure out where that audience lives online and the types of content they enjoy consuming. Some audiences are big on podcasts. Some hate podcasts. Some are big on reading guest articles. Some hate guest articles. We figure out what they're interested in. And then we see, well, does that line up with the type of content my client enjoys producing or is able to produce? Similarly, some of my clients hate doing podcasts. Some love doing podcasts. Some do not enjoy writing. Some love writing. And when we find that alignment, figure out, okay, great. The audience loves guest articles. My client loves writing. Let's write a guest article and figure out how we could expose this audience to my client's expertise and our understanding of the challenges or problems that the audience is experiencing. Yeah, I like that that two-way fit. You not only have to worry about what the audience, how they prefer to consume content, but the person actually making the content. You have to make sure it's not something that they absolutely hate doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so you recently, you just published a book, The Traffic Manual, and that focuses almost exclusively on using podcasts to build an audience. Is that right? Absolutely. And so say I run a web design and development shop. Why would I even want to build an audience if that's That's something that I don't do right now. That's not usually how I find clients. So what is the benefit of having an audience? The way I frame it is the benefit to focusing on building an audience as a consultant or as an agency owner or even as an agency employee is that everybody you run into isn't necessarily ready to buy today. We could imagine that the parallel I draw is if you were invited to speak at your local chamber of commerce, well, great, here's an opportunity to talk to 50 business owners. Well, of those 50 people in the room, maybe two or three are ready to buy your service or your product today. They say, hey, I've got this issue. Your service sounds great. It's going to help us. Here's money on the table I'm ready to buy. The other 47, a good chunk of them might be interested, but they don't know enough about the problem. They aren't ready to purchase yet. They don't have the budget. They don't have the time. So by saying we want to focus on building an audience, what we're doing is inviting those other 47 people out of the 50 in and saying, well, we understand you aren't ready to buy today, but if you're interested in the material I have available, if you're interested in my strategies, in my approach, hey, sign up for my email newsletter or subscribe here or download my PDF, become a member of my audience, uh, engage with what I'm producing in some way. And so when you're ready to buy, 
maybe this person has been on your email list for a few months. And so they've get, they've been getting an email every week or every two weeks, helping teach them about the problem and demonstrating that you as the agency owner are knowledgeable about the problem space and know how to solve it. So when they're ready to make that purchase, you're going to be at the top of their mind. So when I say we should focus on building an audience, it really, I'm really saying we need to back up one step and look a little larger than just the people who are ready to purchase today, the clients who are the prospects who have the money on the table and say, there's a number of people out there who will be ready to buy tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now. How can we capture them, collect their information, provide them with value? And then present them with that buyer, buying offer or that buying opportunity regularly so they can purchase when they're ready. Yeah, and I think that makes a ton of sense. I recently had Brennan Dunn on the show, and he talked a lot about how he would do those similar types of seminars. And what he always would make sure to do is at the end of it, he would have an insider's list or some way to, to get people from the audience to hand over their email address so he could nurture the relationships like that. Because like you said – the vast, vast majority of people aren't going to be ready to buy today. And I think it's something that a lot of freelancers and agency owners and, and consultants struggle with is that they focus too much only on the people that are ready to buy immediately and discard the rest. And that almost leads a lot to sort of the feast or famine that so many agencies find themselves in. Entirely. I, when I look at my agency owner friends or my consultant friends who experience that feast or famine roller coaster, one month is a great, we've, you know, we're fully booked solid. The next month there's no work. It's because they haven't been taking time to market themselves or prospect or generate new leads do the metaphorical rainmaking dance. And, by focusing on building an audience, well, if you have a hundred or five hundred or a thousand people on an email list who have said, Hey, you know what? I'm interested in the type of services you offer. I'm not ready to buy today. When you as that agency owner reach that point when you say, Gosh, I need some work. Well, you've got a thousand people sitting there who previously have expressed interest in your material or the problems you could help them solve. You can now approach that list and say, Hey folks, uh, here's some information about what it's like to work with me. I've got two slots available. Do you need help solving this particular problem? And those people could raise their hands. I have a, a friend who owns a consulting business who was hit with a surprise tax bill he wasn't expecting. And uh, we were chatting and he was like, I, I've got to come up with $10,000 in the next four weeks. And I'm like, what's your plan? He's like, well, I'm going to email my list. I'm going to see who's interested and I'm going to let them know what it's like to work with me. And I think he has something like $24,000 on the table. It hasn't closed yet, but these are prospects who are like, I'm very interested in working with you. Let, let's discuss what an engagement looks like. And the the takeaway he and I both had from that is what if you tr – what if every month you were like, I've got to come up with $10,000 because of metaphorical big emergency? What strategies would you use? Well, if you already have an audience that you've built up, you could approach that audience, say, hey, you know what? I've got a couple slots available. Let's work together and see who of that group is ready to raise their hand and begin an engagement together. Right, and it's, you're not you're not starting from scratch each time. Whereas the typical the feast or famine roller coaster we talked about it, it's when you lose a client or when the project ends or whatever. It's you have to go back out and pound pavement, knock on doors, hand out business cards, just and that, and you're starting all from the beginning. And with that, it, it's not sort of like a reliable, it's not a repeatable, it's not a predictable way of getting clients. But having the audience that you can reach back out to regularly. Is and so that makes a lot of sense when you when you say it that way. But I guess the the thing I'm wondering about now is like, okay, that that makes sense. Having an audience is great, but I don't have one. How how do I 
how can a podcast sort of help start me get on the road to building one? Great question. What I found particularly helpful and what I talk about in the traffic manual is by going on podcasts as a serial guest, basically not launching your own but saying, well, I want to find relevant podcasts, you're able to present to an audience of potential buyers week after week. So let's jump back to that metaphor of the Chamber of Commerce invites you in to speak. You show up. You're able to give a presentation. And then, well, one week down the line, they invite you in again, and you think, oh, it's going to be the same people. And you show up, and it's 50 new business owners, and you get to present to a whole new audience a second time. With podcasting in particular, I found that to be the case, where if you as an agency owner say, hey, you know what, we're positioned to help uh, uh, let's say nonprofits in the animal rescue space optimize their websites for mobile and get more donations. Well, it's a particular specific niche, but you're able to find nonprofit podcasts, podcasts focused in the animal, animal rescue or animal shelter space appear on them and then say, Hey, you know what? I'm an expert at helping people with this particular problem. People who need to have this solved. If you're interested in learning more, you could go over here and sign up for my free five-part course. You get five emails that will teach you how to solve this particular problem. So by appearing on podcasts, you're able to reach a new audience each time you're on a podcast, an audience of people who are your best buyer or ideal buyer, and then present them with that call to action so they could raise their hand, join your list, and become a member of your audience. And once they make that transition, now you're able to market to them politely and persistently educating them about the problems you could solve, showing what your solutions look like, and offering them that opportunity to begin an engagement with you. So it sounds like what you're saying is you basically you find relevant audiences and essentially borrow that audience from them, give them a great offer for some free information, and then use that to kind of pull them into your own audience. Entirely, entirely. Mm -hmm. I've always thought that there's really three ways to get traffic or get visitors or get buyers to your website. You could buy them, pay-per-click ads through Google or through Facebook. You could earn them ranking high for terms like web development Chicago, people who are searching for you know, a local agency who could solve their problem, or you could borrow an audience. And appearing on a podcast or writing a guest article or doing a webinar of somebody who already has an established audience are all very effective ways at borrowing that audience and then presenting them with that opportunity to become a member of your own audience. Say, let's let's go back to the example of kind of a a web development shop. Mm -hmm. I build websites. What what would I have to possibly talk about that someone would be interested in hearing? Well, if you're a freelancer or a consultant working in a particular space, be it as a generalist or as a specialist with narrow positioning, you've worked on a number of projects helping clients solve a problem. So you could appear on a podcast and talk about something that falls under your area of expertise. Well, what's the process look like for building a website? A lot of people might show up and think like, I put a dollar in the machine and I get a website out. Well, now there's going to be a discovery process. We're going to figure out what your audience is looking for. We're going to figure out what steps we need to take, what your content needs to look at like. So you could educate people about your area of expertise. You could also educate people about particular expensive problems you're able to solve. Maybe you're great at building mobile websites or websites that convert well. Well, you could teach people that. The third area that I encourage people to think about is talking about unconventional opinions you have. Maybe you're a web designer who says, having a full website, you know, that's really last decade. Now you need a website that just serves one purpose, get people onto your email list. And that's an an opinion that might go against the grain from a lot of other web developers. So by thinking about things that fall into your area of expertise, 
things that are expensive problems or great at solving or unconventional opinions that you have, you could draw on those as knowledge areas for a podcast that you're on or any sort of a, a marketing opportunity to talk to an audience to teach them something new. Am I explaining that well? Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's like if you have a tight positioning statement like Philip Morgan, all those guys advocate, it's a lot easier to say like, all right, this is my expertise. I can talk about this. But even as a generalist, you still are working on projects day after day that are gaining, that are giving you experience and you're identifying how to solve what should be expensive problems. So you still do have something to talk about even in that case. Entirely. And often a lot of the pushback I get from people when I say building an audience and talking about what you do is like, I'm just a guy. I just do things. Well, if you're, if you're able to have a conversation with folks at a cocktail party or a conference about what you do, that's enough of a knowledge advantage where you're able to go on a podcast and have that conversation. If you're at a cocktail party and, you know, your your brother's uh, fiance is like, tell me a little bit about what you do. I'm curious. I, I don't know what it's like to build a website. Well, whatever you share in that five or 15 minute conversation, that can be the central point of what you share in a podcast, educating people about what it's like to build a website, the steps you need to go through. Yeah. And I think another thing too is that you're not necessarily, I mean, I guess you could, but you're not necessarily going on a podcast about podcasts to talk about podcasts. You're going on, uh, this is a, this is a podcast where we talk to agency owners. We help them grow their agency and you're talking about podcasts so that they're not already experts in the field, the people you're trying to talk to. And whereas like if you were a web designer, a web developer, anything like that, you're not talking necessarily to your peers. You're talking to the people that you could help. And so you're you're already an expert compared to them because they don't do what you do every day, all day. Exactly, exactly. I couldn't say it better myself. Just acknowledging that, well, because you've done it for a couple of years, because you, like you said, you do it every day, you're able to draw on that informational advantage, that intellectual property you've built up as a practitioner or an agency owner for a number of years and teach people that in a 30-minute or a 60-minute segment. And it's not like you need to teach them everything there is to know about podcasting or web design. It's just giving them one or two actionable insights that will help them move forward. Mm-hmm. And so this is all making perfect sense, but it's like, all right, so now I know roughly who, what audiences I want to look at. I know what I can talk about, but how do I actually go about getting on the shows? What What is that process like? It's it's a multi-part process. So breaking it down at its core, uh, it's as simple as emailing the podcast and saying, hey, uh, are you interested in having me on as a guest? Uh, I have a friend and colleague who uh, uh, bought my book, The Traffic Manual, and just sent me a message earlier today and said he reached out to 10 podcasts. He's In 24 hours, he's had a 40% placement rate. And all he did was send them an email saying like, hey, I'm a specialist in this area. I'd love to talk to you and your audience about one of these three topics. Uh, let me know if your audience would be interested in learning more. And then we could work out scheduling and all those other details. And so in 24 hours, he booked four podcasts that said, hey, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have our audience learn more about this. We'd love to have you on. That's impressive. And I mean, so it's really just reaching out and just giving sort of your unique pitch, your unique story. And usually that's enough. Is that, is that it? That, that's typically it. I, I say it's a multi-part process because before that point, before you actually send that email or reach out to them, I recommend that you take a look at the podcast, qualify the podcast. If, if we're talking specifically about podcasts here and make sure that the audience of the podcast is relevant to you and your business. You might find a podcast that, it, let's say you're a web designer, 
you might find a podcast that's relevant for web designers, but not really a fit for the way you practice web design or doesn't have guests on. So when you're going through a process like this, I bucket into I bucket it into three separate phases. The first phase is just identifying the different podcasts. So going out there, going into iTunes and searching and figuring out what possibilities are there. The second phase is qualifying them, taking a look at the podcast pages themselves, maybe listening to a recent episode and saying like, okay, is this a relevant podcast? Would it make sense for me to appear on this podcast? Do they have guests? Are they currently publishing it? And if you started from, let's say, 50 podcasts, maybe you winnow it down to 25 potential candidates. The third phase is that outreach phase itself. So sending that email saying, hey, you know what? You have a wonderful podcast. Uh, I'm an expert in this area. It looks like your audience would benefit from learning about this area. We could have a conversation about any of these three topics. I generally pick one thing that's something for my area of expertise, one that's an unconventional opinion that I have, and one that's an expensive problem that I know this audience typically experiences and pitch on those topics saying, hey, I could, we could have a conversation about A, B, or C, which one would make the most sense. And then the ball's in their court to uh, uh, accept or not. The fourth phase there is really a follow-up phase. So often you might reach out to a podcast and say, hey, I'd love to be on and not get a response. And it's not because the podcast doesn't want to have you on or your pitch was terrible. It might be because they get 100 emails a day. And the best way to figure out who stands out is to not respond and see who follows up. So I highly advocate a persistent, polite follow-up process, just sending an additional email where it says, where it adds more value to the conversation. So bad emails or bad follow-up emails generally take the form of, hey, haven't heard back. Are you interested? And don't really move the conversation forward. Good follow-up emails might take the form of, hey, by the way, I just published an article about something relating to one of the topics I pitched you on. Uh, You could check it out here. And by the way, let me know if you're still looking for a guest. So by following up and showing that you're publishing additional content, creating additional content that's relevant to the topics you're pitching on, you're able to justify your status as an expert, show that you actually know what you're talking about, and give them an opportunity to follow up again. While the first email might have been buried, the second one might hit them at a time when they're in their inbox and they're like, oh yeah, I just checked out that article, love to have you on, and then you're able to acquire that placement. Typically, I say follow up between four and seven or so times every week or every two weeks, not following up four times a week, but following up every week or two to a total of four or seven times, and then saying, okay, I haven't heard back. They must be on vacation or busy or who knows what reason. But by persistently following up, you're able to maximize the chance that you'll be picked and maximize the opportunities you're taking to demonstrate that you're an expert. Yeah, so first, that was awesome. So like in my mind, if we just took your last response and just made a little schematic of of these are the steps and then follow up like this and drew all the little arrows and like you would have – basically like perfect plan of how to get on a podcast. So that was really good. I don't know if my show notes will accurately convey that, but I'll, I'll do my best to get it in there. But and then secondly, though, on, on what you were saying about the following up, I agree that that is hugely important. And it with like, not even just with this, but with pretty much anything with email or even not even email, just anything in life where it's like when you ask, when you're asking someone to do something, because like you said, people are busy 
they might be getting a hundred emails a day. They have so much going on in their own life that your request, they're not necessarily being rude by ignoring it, but there's a lot else going on. They can just forget. They can, they just something else can come up. And so sin, sending those little pings to kind of remind people that, Hey, I'm out here in, and then helping build your own case away. Like I like where you said, um, send new articles that you're putting out to show your expertise and show you're still doing this and working towards that. I think that's like a really smart approach. Absolutely. And follow-up is, like you hit on, essential for any type of relationship you're trying to build. It could be a marketing-focused relationship like a podcast or a guest article or a webinar, or it could be a business or a sales-focused relationship like trying to close a project. Uh, drawing back in like my personal archive, there's a client I currently have who's probably been worth around $20,000 to me. And we started off a conversation. I sent over a proposal. He said, this sounds great. Uh, we'd love to work together, but it's going to be a few months before everything's in line on our side. We're going through a redesign. And I said, okay, great. And I just made a point of every two weeks pinging them, checking in, saying like, hey, just wanted to see how business is going. How's that redesign? Love to check it out. And it took, I think, four or five months before they were in a position to work with us. But just by being polite, persistently following up, reminding them that I was waiting in the wings and sending over interesting, relevant articles as I created them, as they related to the scope of the engagement, when it was time and when they were, when they were ready, they said, hey, we'd love to work together. Let's get started. And so I, I highly advocate being intentional and persistent in your follow-up. And a couple of tools that I use that help with that are uh, boomerang for Gmail. It's this extension for Gmail that lets you just set reminders like, hey, bring this email back to the top of my inbox in two weeks unless they reply. And just by using a tool like that, you're able to send an email. So client emails you and says, hey, check back in a month. We are, we definitely want to work together, but we'll be ready then. You could set a reminder. So that email just pops to the top of your inbox in three or four weeks. And you could send out another email and say, hey, just checking in. How's everything going? And it makes it so you don't have to have a task list of like, oh, I got to follow up with Jim and got to remember to follow up with Jim. Instead, the email from Jim pops to the top of the inbox when it's time for that email to be responded to. Yeah, and it also kind of gets it out of your head a bit because I know that's one of the things that I use Boomerang for for podcasts for pretty much in my personal life too. It's like if I'm like, all right, I can't deal with this right now. It helps a lot with inbox zero, which I'm not super diligent about, but you can be like, all right, Instead of just having emails left in your inbox as reminders, you can say, I need to respond to this on this day. Shoot it back to me then and I'll get it then. You don't worry about it as much. It's it's almost automatic at that point. Entirely, entirely. Often when we look at our inbox, there's stuff we could take care of now. There's stuff we could reply to now. There's stuff that belongs as a task in our task management system. Center the logo on the website. And then there's the emails where – we need to follow up with them, but it doesn't make sense to like have that in Asana or OmniFocus or a task management system. So just by sending that email forward or moving it into, hey, this is a thing I need to take action on at a later date, it gets it out of your mind. You don't have to waste cycles thinking about it anymore. Oh, exactly. And it's like, so I was, for Hubstaff, I was finishing up a few case studies that had taken probably, they were written two months ago and then it was a following up to get approvals and get this and that, get the logos from the clients and the, with time differences and everything, it took forever. But so with boomerang, really what it was is like, all right, I'll send them this email. If they don't respond, bring it back up to me on this day. And you can even have like kind of, you can get kind of complex where you can schedule an email to send only if they don't reply. And so it makes it way easier to have tools like that. Entirely. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I think follow up at a high level is 
an essential tactic, an essential skill that any agency owner should be practicing since chances are you might send a proposal over to a client and the client doesn't get back to you. Well, the client might be busy. Client's dog might have died. Client might be on vacation. So just by setting that reminder to like, okay, follow up in a week and send a touching base email, it makes it so much more likely that the project will close in your favor. Exactly. And even for this, the case study example, it's like they finally were completed. But if I hadn't had a system of making sure I was following up regularly, I don't think it would have ever gotten done. And so it's just getting things done is a lot easier when you are persistent and have a way to, to stick to a schedule like that. So that was a really good tip. But so let's, we'll get back to the podcast in a little bit. And so we've, we've sent out these emails. We've gotten a few placements and we're like, all right, we're excited. We're ready to go on. Do we just kind of show up for the call and go from there? Or what do we do to make sure we really take advantage of the opportunity? I think there's three things that we want to focus on to make sure we take advantage of the opportunity. The first is we want to understand how the story we're telling connects to the larger narrative of our business and the story our business is telling. So uh, we want to make sure that the topics we're pitching on are relevant to the things we do and the problems we solve. If uh, you sell web design and you're on a podcast talking about uh, the importance of mobile websites for nonprofits. Well, maybe that's aligned with your customer base. Maybe it isn't. So you want to make sure that the story you're telling on the podcast is relevant to the expensive problems you're able to solve and what your agency does. The second thing that's very important is to figure out how to get people to raise their hand as part of the audience and move over to your site itself. So what that call to action looks like and how that call to action fits into the narrative. The metaphor I typically use is if you're presenting to an audience and you're talking about, you know, the benefits of red pens, how red pens are wonderful for your business. Well, if you end that podcast with a call to action of sign up to learn more about blue pencils, the audience is going to say, well, you just were talking to me about red pens. You've got me on the fence about red pens. I want to buy some red pens, but now you're talking about blue pencils. I don't get it. So you want to make sure that when you're doing an interview or you're on a podcast, whatever that call to action is, when you say, hey, you know what? You could go to this URL and sign up for my free course, that that incentive aligns with whatever the topic is that you're sharing about or the expensive problem you're able to solve. The third thing to think about is, whether you're educating them or through an email course or giving them an incentive like a lead magnet or a white paper, again, how does that connect to the narrative you're trying to tell, the expensive problem you're solving, and the specific topic you're talking about for the podcast? So keeping all of those in mind really help maximize the benefit of a podcast appearance. One person who I think does this extremely well is Philip Morgan of uh, Philip Morgan Consulting and the PositioningManual.com. Whenever he's on a podcast, he's able to end with a call to action of, hey, if you want to learn more about positioning, uh, you could find more ab- about it at my website, uh, positioningcrashcourse.com. I-, I think that's the URL. Yeah, positioningcrashcourse.com. And so he's interviewed on a podcast about positioning. He's able to end with a call to action of, if you want to learn more about positioning, the thing we just talked about, go to positioningcrashcourse.com. And then once an audience member lands on positioningcrashcourse.com, they're able to say, hey, great, I want to learn more about positioning. The page tells me you can learn more about positioning. I'm going to do that thing and sign up for it. And so from podcast topic to call to action to incentive that you're offering, it's all in alignment. It's all talking about that singular topic. In Philip Morgan's case, positioning. 
Right. It's sort of the the logical next step after the podcast. It's the person has been listening to what you said. They say, all right, what do I do now if I want to keep going with this? And you say, oh, here, go to my, my landing page for this. And right, you want it to be congruent with that. You don't want it to be kind of a random offer. Entirely, entirely. And if you end up with a random offer, uh, people feel, I think, a loss of trust. Since at the heart of it, when we look at podcasting or look at any sort of marketing opportunity like this, you're on the podcast to build up trust with the audience. Right now, talking about this, some audience members are saying, hey, Kai's on point. This is exactly what we wanted to learn more about. So we've built up a trusting relationship. If I end up a call to action that sends them to something that's a different topic or a different area than podcasting or building an audience, they're going to suddenly say, this is weird. This is different than what I expected. I'm scared. I'm going to hit the back button now. And you end up losing them as a prospect or losing them as a member of your audience. So by having all of the elements sort of in line with each other, you're able to make sure that you don't break that trust, break that trust chain, and you're able to move them forward along that trust chain to whatever that next most logical step is. Hold that thought because we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. But when we come back, Kai is going to share the biggest mistake people make when guesting on podcasts and how you can overcome it. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just 30 seconds. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, now back to Kai. Other than, because I think if you listen to a lot of podcasts and having people on the show, you'll see a lot of them will give great information. I think one of the biggest mistakes most people do is they don't have a strong call to action at all at the end. But what what other mistakes do you think people typically make when, when going on a podcast? The the biggest mistakes generally are not researching the audience, so not asking the host, who listens to this? What what type of people should I expect to be tuning into this? Since while you might be pitching on a particular topic, you'll want to adjust that topic depending on whether it's – in this case, let's say you have an audience of agency owners. Well, it would be a little different if you had an audience of freelancers who are just getting started or – people who are debating starting a side hustle in freelancing and looking to get that started. So understanding who the audience is is one very important element. Uh, the second very important element I'd say is that call to action at the end. So often I'll listen to a podcast and the host will end with the pretty typical, if people want to learn more about you, where can they go? And people will say, well, you could follow me on Twitter at Kai S. Davis. And well, that's great. Maybe you pick up 10 Twitter followers, but is Twitter the best spot for somebody to go? Typically not. Uh, the content you're sharing on Twitter generally is just a gateway to the really relevant content, your website, your email newsletter, uh, something where they're actually a member of your audience. So thinking about where you want to send those people is a very important step. Okay. 
it almost goes with what you're saying about having the the red pen versus blue pencil thing where it's like you want to make sure your your message when you go on a podcast is actually catered towards the audience because if someone for whatever reason if that audience hates pens you're not going to talk about the red pen you'll talk probably about the blue pencil the whole time mhm mhm entirely yeah and so let's we'll get a little meta with this so what did you do to prepare for this podcast um, I talked with you about what the uh, audience was like. You sent over a list of questions that I reviewed and made notes for. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to a previous podcast episode, which sadly I wish I had. But uh, uh, I read through the website, took, to look, took a look at what the content looked like and just got myself to a position where I said, OK, I feel comfortable appearing on this podcast. I feel comfortable with the questions I know he's going to ask and uh, uh, just felt like I was in that right position. Uh, in line with setting up a landing page or a call to action, I set up a landing page for this episode at wyouraudience slash hub or wyouraudience.com slash hub where uh, any listeners could go and enter in their email address to get a collection of resources I put together on podcasting and building an audience as well as a discount on my book, The Traffic Nice, Nice. I'll give you a chance to plug that again at the end, but um, and I'll put in the show notes as well. But I think it's what it comes down to is this really coming in with a plan of attack. Don't just wing it like you would kind of a, a casual chat, right? Mm-hmm, entirely. And over time, once you've appeared on 5, 10, or 20 podcasts, the the meta skills of being on a podcast become easier to do casually. Just like if you're a web designer, well, when you're starting out, you're going to say, okay, I really need a strategic approach to building the design for this. After a few years in the industry, somebody could say, hey, we need a design for this thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, sure. And a couple hours later, you're like, hey, I, I've got it done. You have that intuitive understanding of what the steps look like. Right. Because in politics, it's called like having your stump speech, which is like your go to in any situation, you can bust up the speech and, and you, you'll be fine with that. And it's almost like in, in podcasting with this, you have your talking points, you know, roughly how to talk about the, the main areas of, of your business, of your agency, and then it's catering it to the the audience to the message you're trying to get across. And it's sort of like in the beginning, when if an agency owner first starts going to a few podcasts, they're going to be doing a lot of this from scratch. It's going to take more time. But as they get more comfortable, it's not as um, intimidating a process. Entirely, entirely. And uh, uh, one question that you had brought up before the show that I just wanted to touch on was if an agency owner needs clients now, does podcasting make sense as the plan of attack? And I'd honestly say if you're in the position of like, we need to make payroll this month. It doesn't look like we're going to make payroll. We need a tactic that's going to, you know, get a couple clients in and get some revenue in. Podcasting is not the right strategy. It's much more of a long-term approach. Uh, I was on a mutual friend of ours podcast, uh, Kurt Elster, the unofficial Shopify podcast, probably 18 or so months ago. And uh, we talked about SEO for e-commerce stores, which was my focus back then. And that podcast episode still generates leads for me. I, last week, I had two people email me saying, hey, I, was on, I heard that podcast episode. It was really great. I'd love to learn more and see if you could help our business. So podcasting is great at creating these evergreen assets that could generate leads and generate subscribers over time. They're not that great at generating clients today. Uh, for example, this episode, we're recording it on – I don't know if I should break frame and say when exactly That's we're okay. recording it. But <laughs> we're recording it and it's going to go live a few weeks or a month from now. So if I was saying, oh, geez, I really want this podcast to bring in a client, well, the podcast isn't going to go live for a month. So it's not right, going it's to not solve that possible. problem. Exactly. Yeah. 
And so I know I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that actually also goes into my next question, which is you're not advocating someone ditches all other means of getting clients and just does podcasts or just does webinars or anything. You're advocating this as more a, a tool to put in the toolbox. Entirely, entirely. It is a singular tool that makes sense as part of your overall marketing strategy. For for my business, I do content marketing. I get referrals from other colleagues. I appear on podcasts. I'm starting to do webinars. Uh, uh, I'm looking at Facebook ads to drive traffic to my site and my content and my email list. But podcasting is just one of the different approaches I personally favor. For some people, it works great. For some people, they try it and they're like, eh, not quite a fit for my business, but it's it's simply one tactic and it is in no way the Uber or the Ur tactic that will get you everything you want. It's a thing to test and try. No, and I think that's one thing that you'll see separates the agencies that are huge, they're growing fast, they they seem they can't even handle all the work that's coming to them. And the agencies that are kind of struggling to get by, struggling to keep their heads above water, it's that the ones that are doing really well usually have multiple channels to get clients. They don't just depend on word of mouth or something like that. Mm-hmm. Entirely, entirely. And podcasting is a great way to generate you know, word of mouth referrals or demonstrate your expertise. I know that people have said, you know, I, I heard you on one podcast, Kai, and then I searched around and I listened to four more episodes of you across four different podcasts. And at this point, I knew I had to get in touch with you. And I just want to say, like, it's so excited to talk to you. I feel like I know you already. And at that point, as a consultant, like it feels like they're already on the same side of the table as me. They heard me talk for five hours. They willingly subjected themselves to that. Wonderful. Uh, how, how can I help you grow your business? But it's not as if that instantly happens as soon as you're on a podcast. It's another way to build authority to get in front of people. And I think it's similar to – guest posting to other things that can leverage someone else's audience, which I think is very appealing to an agency that kind of has no audience of their own yet. So I think this is a good way to break into that. But I I am glad that you emphasize don't just do this, but dip your feet in a few different things, try them, and go whatever fits your personality. Mm -hmm. And I, I personally have found that podcasting has been the most successful for myself and my colleagues when it's coupled with a very strong, very narrow positioning. So if I was just going out there and saying, like, I I do SEO and tried to get on podcasts, they'd say, well, there's a million people who just do SEO. Why should we interview you versus someone else? But if your positioning is really, really narrowly defined. For a while, I was saying, hey, I just do SEO for Shopify stores. That That is who I am and what I do. They'd say, well, we've never had a specialist who focuses just on Shopify. We'd love to interview you. And so even though the material, the content, the problems I was talking about on an episode would be the same as if I was positioning myself as a generalist SEO consultant, by having that narrow positioning, it was interesting enough to them to suddenly say, we want to interview you, and interesting enough to the audience to say, hey, I have a Shopify store. He's an SEO guy for Shopify. Of course we want to work with him. He's better positioned than anyone else out there. So by first identifying your positioning, how you're relevant in the market, uh, what niche you want to focus on, and then moving into podcasting and saying, well, we're focused on this subset of the market how could we reach that subset of the market? I think you really are playing on easy mode at that point. It's easier to get on podcasts and easier for people to say, oh, you're the expert I need for my business. I like that that easy mode comparison because that no, it's perfect. And so what about the people that might say like, well, podcasting is just a fad. Like are you concerned about podcasting dying in – it will never go away entirely, but but sort of 
not being as popular as today, do you think uh, this will be your primary focus going forward, or what does the future kind of look like for you? Good question. There, there's a lot to unpack in that question. So on podcasting specifically, I don't think that I don't think we're headed towards a downswing in podcasting. Uh, there's been a couple articles. I unfortunately can't remember their names at the moment, but there's been a couple articles recently that have talked about the growth of podcasting and how it's becoming more accessible for people and audience sizes and number of podcasts are increasing. So in the short and medium term, I see podcasting continuing to be an effective way to reach audiences online. So for any agency owner that's saying, like, is this going to be dead in three months? Well, no, I think there's definitely a longevity to podcasting overall. But going a little larger scope than that, the skills that we're talking about to appear on a podcast, qualifying them or identifying them, qualifying them, reaching out to them, following up, making sure you have a tight positioning. Well, for whatever marketing channel you're looking at, if you're focused on reaching an established audience, all of those skills still apply. You're just subbing in something else for podcasting. So let's say tomorrow somehow a magic wand is waved in. Podcasting, dead as a doornail. Doesn't doesn't work anymore. Doesn't happen anymore. People are like, eh, that was so 2015. Well, maybe guest articles are still around or doing webinars or writing a guest post for somebody's email list. These are all effective ways to reach an established audience and it uses that exact same skill set. So while podcasting, I think, does have a longevity to it, even if it doesn't, or if you test podcasting, dear listener, and it doesn't work for your agency, the same skills that we're discussing on this episode will apply for other marketing tactics you decide to use or other relationship-based marketing tactics you decide to use. Yeah, it's sort of like the the theory of the funnel is still the same. It's you, you're finding a relevant audience, you're giving them a relevant pitch, and then you're having a relevant call to action at the end. Exactly, exactly. And maybe you're focused, maybe your dear listener are in a large city like Chicago and say, well, podcasting, eh, not my thing, but I'd love to be presenting at local meetups or local chamber of commerce organizations. Like you just pointed out, Andy, the exact same process applies. Identify that audience, reach out to them, pitch them, talk to them, end with a call to action. You could apply everything I talk about in the traffic manual to outreach of that sort and just pull out the chapter on podcasting and be like, yeah, I'm going to present in a different way. But at the heart of it, it, it's an effective way or when you focus on reaching an existing audience and pitching them on something of value, sharing something educational with them, you're giving them that, that opportunity to become a member of your audience. What just differs is whether we're talking about podcasting or webinars or local meetups or any of a dozen different forms of yeah, the framework's never going away mm-hmm. entirely, and it's just the medium that may change. But even but I do agree with you, right? Like podcasts are still on the up; they're not going anywhere. But it is kind of reassuring to know, like, no, this applies to pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, what does the future look like for you? What is this next 2016? What is what are your big plans? I'm I love teaching people things. I love educational marketing. And uh, writing the traffic manual was a milestone for me because it was something I'd wanted to do for years. How do I take something I do as a consultant and turn it into an educational product? And so in 2016, for my business, I'm saying, well, I want to continue to teach people how to do different marketing things. I want to continue to help people appear on podcasts or build relationships with relevant audiences. And I also want to continue with educational marketing. So I see myself writing a companion to the traffic manual in the next six months and releasing it. I see myself heading further down that that line and sort of saying, 
how can I teach and educate at scale? I love when I get to work one-on-one with a client, either in a coaching situation or a uh, uh, typical consulting engagement. But there's also that desire to say, well, what does it look like if I try to teach 10 people or 100 people at once? Webinars or group masterminds or other sorts of things like that. No, I think that's a great plan, especially when you are – this is sort of goes back to what you were saying is that podcasts might not be right for everyone. It's finding the the medium that fits your personality. And for you, when you say, I love to teach, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense to kind of not necessarily transition but to, to see what happens if you go down that road. Exactly, exactly. And podcasting is just personally one of the methods I love to – teach people about things, well, whatever comes next for me, I'm definitely going to be leveraging podcasting as a way to reach an audience who is trying to solve that problem or trying to learn something specific. Yeah. And so, Kai, I think it's time for the kind of the big question. We've built up a lot of pressure around this, so you really need to pull through on this one. So if people want to learn more about you and what you do, where can they go? The best spot would be to visit my website, uh, doubleyouraudience.com, and I've set up a special landing page for uh, listeners of this episode. So if they go to doubleyouraudience.com forward slash hub, they could drop their email in there and get a collection of resources I've put together as well as a discount on my book, The Traffic Manual, exclusive to uh, listeners of this podcast. Perfect. I think you I think you nailed it. So for all the listeners, I'll put those links in the show notes. And if you're looking for a case study of how to do a podcast right, I'll refer back to this one. Thank you so much. And, yeah. And so, Kai, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, hey, thank you for having me on. And thank you, dear listeners, for uh, investing your time and listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. Awesome. And so I'll talk to you later, Kai. Talk to you later, my friend. All right. See ya. I really wasn't kidding when I said his answers are right on point and truly actionable. Not only did Kai cover why having an audience is something that can transform an agency, but he goes into detail and lays out the step-by-step process you can use to start building your own. First, do the research to see what podcasts are out there that serve your target market. Second, qualify them to make sure the audience is relevant to you and your business. Third, reach out to the host by pitching your unique angle and explaining why it would be interesting and helpful for the listeners to hear you speak. Finally, and is where most people fail, you need to relentlessly follow up. And don't just send a, hey, check in and make sure you got this kind of email. Make sure your follow-ups actually move the conversation forward. If you want to go deeper on this, then check out the page Kai set up for our listeners at wyouraudience.com slash hub, where you'll find additional resources as well as an exclusive discount on Kai's book, The Traffic Manual. That's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and head over to iTunes to leave a review. Reviews really helped our rankings in iTunes and help us reach a bigger audience. So if you can spare just a minute to do that, I'd really appreciate it. Next week, I'm going to be talking with Robert Williams of Workshop, who will show you how to find dozens of leads each and every day and how to write them the emails that will actually get you hired. Talk to you then. See ya.